Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I want to just remind us that we are in the midst of a series we began last week called Four, a series that is looking not at what we are against, something that Christians sometimes can be known for, what we're against, but what we are for. We believe that God is for us, that God has done this amazing thing by extending his love and his mercy and his grace to us. And because of that, we have the opportunity to extend that love, mercy, and grace to those around us. And last week, we began by talking about what that looks like for us to be for our neighbors, to take the good news of the gospel and to share it with those that God has sovereignly placed us around in our neighborhoods where we live, in our workplace, and our families. But today, we're going to continue that discussion by looking at the issue of the city in which God has placed us. What does it mean for us as a church to be for Norman? Or if you are in another community, what does it look like for you to be for Moore or for Blanchard or for Midwest City? What does it look like for God to work in the heart and life of a believer or a community of believers to impact the cities in which they live? We're going to talk about that today. Now, before we do that, I I want to just uh, reflect for a moment about an experience that, that many of us have shared. And that experience is this, staying in a hotel. I want you to go in your mind's eye to the last hotel room you stayed in, okay? Just think back to the last hotel room you stayed in, and then think about how that hotel room was furnished. Probably in that room, there was a bed. If not, you got a bad hotel room, friends, okay? Um, There probably was a bed. There probably was a pillow. There, There probably was a television. There probably was some other seating thing, like, you know, a chair or a sofa, But in the midst of all of that other furniture, my guess is there also was a chest of drawers. Every hotel room I think I've ever stayed at has had a chest of drawers. Now, let me ask you a very personal question. Do you use that chest of drawers? I mean, when you show up at a hotel, knowing you'll only be there for a short time, do you unpack? Some of you do. Some of you are elbowing the person you're sitting next to, going, that's you, you're the person he's talking about that uses those drawers. And if you do use them, how many nights do you have to stay before you use them? I'll give you my answer, three. If if I'm there less than three nights, the stuff stays in the bag. But after three nights, baby, we're putting them in the drawers, okay? Uh, That's just the way that I roll. And you probably have some kind of rhythm in your own life as well, because here's the reality. If we think we're only going to be there for a short time, we live one way. But if we're going to be there for an extended time, we live another. Now, I'm not just talking about a little phenomena in our life. I'm talking about our perspective on the places where God has us. Because if we are followers of Christ, we have an eternal life. And that eternal life is found with a home that is not here. That eternal life has a home that is in the heavenly places. It's in our Father's house. And because our home is there, that means that our time here on the earth is temporary. If that is our home, then this is where we are vacationing. This world is the hotel room in which we reside. And if this is the hotel room in which we reside, how much do we unpack? Friends, Christians have wrestled with that question for a very long time. 
If this world is not our home, how at home should we be in this world? That's really the question that we're asking. Christians have asked it for 2,000 years, and the followers of God have asked it even longer than that. And this morning as we gather together, I want us to look at two different passages of Scripture that will help us to answer the question, what does it look like for us to live our lives in the city? What does it look like for us to be for the community where God has planted us? What does it look like for us to be for Norman? Hopefully, as we look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 14, and Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 41, we will have some greater clarity on those issues. So, let's open our Bibles and let's begin this journey. We're going to begin by looking at Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14, as we will see the first of two observations, one from each of these passages. And that first observation is this. We are to unpack our bags. Unpack our bags. Now, I'm not going to read all 14 verses in Jeremiah 29, and that's for a very simple reason. There are some very hard names to pronounce in the first section of that passage. And I'm going to spare you my awful pronunciation of those foreign names, okay? Um, You can read it later. They read much better silently than out loud, all right? Um, But as we look at this passage, I think we will find in the midst of these 14 verses, one of the most famous verses in the entire Old Testament. Maybe the only verse that you know from the book of Jeremiah, and that is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Just unscientific survey. How many of you have that on a plaque in your house, on a flip-over book in your bathroom, someplace around your, where you reside, you have that verse someplace, right? Now, why do so many of us have that verse up? We have it up because it's good news for us. I mean, is that good news? I mean, look at it. Is that, is that good news that God is for us, that God has plans for us? Absolutely, that's good news. But here's the thing. Sometimes when we see that verse, we think it's good news immediately. Sometimes when we see that that verse, we think, okay, this is telling me that if my morning is hard, my afternoon will be awesome. That if, if this challenge that I'm facing today, you know, by next week at the latest, that challenge is gone. That's that's how we apply that verse. But yet when this verse was originally given, it actually had a little bit of a different meaning. And I think it's helpful for us to see. Make no doubt, this was intended to be good news even for those who read it the first time. But when those who read it the first time read it, they actually had to take a deep breath as they read it because here's the context. See, this verse was written about 586 B.C., 600 years roughly before Jesus was born. And, And in those that that time, the the people of, of Judah had been carted off to Babylon. Babylon had conquered uh, Israel. They had, they had sacked Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple. And they marched away, the best and the brightest, from Jerusalem back to Babylon. Included in that group that went back to Babylon were people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those names from the stories, Bible stories you learned as a kid? Those were some of the folks that went back to Babylon. And when they got back to Babylon, the the people of God were faced with this dilemma. How do we live in this foreign land? Do we isolate 
or do we unpack? That really is the question that was faced before them. And there was a false prophet in that day by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah, the false prophet, was saying something that wasn't true. He was telling the people of God, hey, guess what? We're only going to be in Babylon for a couple of years. So don't worry about it. Don't settle in. Don't unpack your bags. Live with your bags still packed because we're going home soon. Don't worry about this place where you are. If you're thinking about having kids, wait, because soon we'll be back in Israel and you can have them on native soil. If you're thinking about planting a garden, don't worry because the plants won't even grow to fruition before you go back. That's what Hananiah was saying. But Hananiah was lying. God didn't say that. As a matter of fact, when the people of God ended up in Babylon, God had a very specific timeline for how long they were going to be there. They were going to be there for 70 years, a generation. And given the fact that they were going to be far away from their home for a lifetime, they were to conduct their lives in a certain way. We see that instruction coming from God to them through Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 29, verses 4 and following. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what they are to do. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What does God say? He says you're going to be in that city for a generation, so invest in it. While you live there, go ahead and, and live out the very first commandment that God gives. Very first commandment. What, what was the first commandment God ever gave? I don't mean the first of the Ten Commandments. I mean the first command that is listed in Scripture. It's found in Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What God was saying to the people of, of, of Israel was, hey, you guys are spending a generation in this foreign place, so unpack your bags and make the most of it. Live in that city. Have children. Have jobs. Plant gardens. Pray for that place where you are in Babylon. Seek its welfare because as it prospers, you will prosper too because you will live your life out in that city. That's what God says that they're to do. Now, when we hear that, uh, we are tempted to think that this is merely an Old Testament idea, that there was something specific that was going on here that only applied to the Old Testament time where the people of God found themselves in Babylon. But when I read that passage and I think about God's timeline and clock, I'm actually reminded of what you and I face in our lives as well. It's, it's not just an Old Testament idea, it's a New Testament idea. It's not just a, an, a Jewish people idea, it's a people of God idea, and that includes you and me. See, they were going to find themselves in Babylon for a generation, and guess what? We have found ourselves on this earth for a generation. If Christ does not return, we will live out our days on this earth. Now, some of you are thinking, I hope it's not in Norman that whole time. I understand that. But for many of us, this is our place. And even if it's not your ultimate place, it's your place at least for this season of your life. God has placed you here. 
And rather than us viewing our time in Norman, our time in this world as some place where we just want to keep our bags packed, God wants us to unpack, to invest, and to seek the welfare of the city in which he has planted us. See, this is something that the people of God uh, wrestled with even in the first century as people began to follow Christ. See, the, the church in Thessalonica had this problem, right? They, they thought, hey, Jesus is coming back one day. Therefore, I don't have to do anything. I'm not going to work. I'm just going to get a lawn chair, and I'm going to look up at the sky and wait for him to come back. And to that group of people, Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and he says, hey, guess what? If you don't eat, you don't, or you don't work, you don't eat. You're not going to miss when Jesus comes back. Get to work. Seek the welfare of the city in which you're planted. Not only that, but we see Jesus saying something similar to this in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says in verses 14 to 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to seek the welfare of those around us to do good works in the context in which God has planted us so that people might give glory to God. We're, we're called to unpack our bags in the places where we are. You get another idea uh, referenced in the same direction over in the book of 1 Timothy as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications... Prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, including presidents and city council members and governors and mayors. That's the Mark Robinson expanded version, but I think it is consistent with what it says here. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Sounds an awful lot like Jeremiah 29, doesn't it? Seek the welfare of our city, because in its welfare you will find your welfare. Pray for those who lead the places where we are, because in their leadership we find something for our lives as well. Friends, we're called to unpack our bags in the cities in which God has planted us. And for us, it's right here in our city. This is true for us as as a church. It's also true for us as individual followers of Christ. We are to seek the welfare of our city. Now, when I I think about that, um, seeking the welfare of our city, that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, who here is not for that, right? Don't raise your hand. You'll look odd. We're for that. We, We want to be a blessing to those around us. We want Norman to be a better place. We want our neighborhood to be a better place, whatever it is, right? We want the school that our kids go to to be better. We want the university to be better. We want whatever, right? There's there's a part of us that wants this, but here's the challenge. We're busy, aren't we? We're busy, and so when an opportunity comes up for us to seek the welfare of our city, we say no because we just feel so full, don't we? I mean, maybe it's just me, but this is the challenge that I face. As a matter of fact, I'm spending this last week working on a message called For Norman, and in the midst of this message that I'm working on right here, I get a phone call and an invitation to speak at a civic event next month, and you know what I wanted to do? Figure out the nicest way possible to say no. 
That was my initial thought. Isn't that loving of me? Why? Because I just feel full. But I felt the Spirit of God working in my soul saying, hey, Mark, no, 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 no. If you're for Norman, show up. Open your mouth. Do what you do. I've got you in this spot. I've created this opportunity. But, but in order for me to say yes to that, I'm going to have to say no to some other things. Friends, if we are for the city that God has planted us, what would our lives look like if we said yes to that? Well, it's going to look a thousand different ways for a thousand people. But there are some opportunities that we can lay before you that, of what it looks like for us as a church Maybe if you're looking for some of those opportunities of what it looks like for us to be for our city, what, what might it look like for us to get involved? Well, here's, here's a few ideas. You know, in, in a gathering hall, we have a, a set of opportunities out there that you can stop by and find out today about ministries and opportunities and outreaches in our community. But not all of us will be able to stop out there today because we're moving, we gotta pick kids up, we got events that we gotta get to, we're busy, Right? And so we've created an opportunity for you to get a monthly communication with us that's going to be tailored and focused on local outreach opportunities. And if you would like to get that targeted communication, you can text OUTREACH18 to 95577, and once a month, we will send you some opportunities for how you can reach out inside of our community, how we can seek the welfare of our city. But as we reach out and seek the welfare of our city, what are, what are some of the things that you might hear about? Some of the ways in which Wildwood invests. Well, one of those ways that Wildwood invests is, is in the, the homeless and the hungry in our community. And we do so in partnership with Food and Shelter for Friends. You know, once a month, we, we serve a lunch over at Food and Shelter for those in need in our community. One way that we can get involved in being for Norman is by signing up. You can stop by their table. You can sign up for this text message and find those details out, but you can become for our city by serving in that way. Another way is, is, is through the local schools. One of the ways that we as a church are, are for Norman is by some strategic partnerships that we've formed with schools here in town, specifically over at Kennedy Elementary School. See, we, we feel like we're neighbors to them. We're just down the street. How can we serve that community over at Kennedy? One of the ways we've done that is by providing some support to their teachers. Just coming by, providing some things they need, being able to pray for them in different ways, but, but also for individual students where we're able to provide some mentoring for some at-risk kids. One of the ways that we're for the community is through these partnership with the local schools. I, I've been blessed to be a part of that the last number of years and would encourage you to do so as well. Another opportunity is, is with Eden Clinic. We can care for the unborn in our city. You know, a, a young girl or a woman becomes pregnant, she's concerned, she's scared, she doesn't know where to go, they end up at a place like Eden Clinic. And Wildwood has a partnership there reaching out to help provide some coaching and some direction for them in that difficult time of life. Or maybe it's after the children are born, there's situations where kids get in the, the DHS system and foster care, and there's some real needs that are in our community that way. And one of the ways that Wildwood can help be for our community is participation in a thing called the Care Portal where we can find out about needs of, of families in, in challenging situations to help reunite children with their families, we can step in and meet a physical need. And that's something you could do as an individual or as a small group. And, you know, we think about the opportunities that we have as a church to be for our city to seek its welfare. These are just some of those opportunities. And again, I would encourage you to stop by in the gathering hall or to sign up for this text message so that you can begin to be for our city as well.
Friends, one of the things that we need to do is unpack our bags. We're going to spend a lifetime on this planet. Let's invest in its welfare. The next thing, though, that I think we need to see is that we also want to see our city transformed. We want to see our city transformed. In other words, we we don't want to just uh, be loving to our city in the sense of, of helping them with physical needs. We absolutely want to do that as God gives us opportunity, but we want to do more than that. Because we believe that there is a a need that goes even beyond housing and hunger. Those are basic, important needs, but there's a need that each human has that goes even beyond that. And that's a need for a resurrection. It's a need to have our sins forgiven and our lives reconciled with the God who created us. Because that is our greatest need, we need to do more than just be loving. We need to do more than just be nice. But as we are loving, as we are nice, as we are engaging in our community, that we would insert the gospel as the change agent that can connect people to their God. This is the way we believe God has called us to live our life, to really seek the transformation of our city. Now, the, the root passage I have here is in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 41. We're not going to read all of those verses today. Those names are easier to pronounce, but it's a lot of verses. And so I would encourage you to, to flip through them later today and see some of the, the story, the background that I'm going to describe here in a moment. We'll look at a few of those verses. But we see that the events of Acts 19 happened in a particular city, the city of Ephesus. Now, That city name rings a bell to us because it's a place that Paul wrote a letter. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians to that church. And when Paul writes this letter to the church in in Ephesus, he describes their life without Christ in a very unique way. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says to the Ephesians, in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, Paul describes the city of Ephesus as dead. He describes it as chained to their sin in serving someone else. And yet, when we get to Acts chapter 19, we see that dead city brought to life. And not just excited, but spiritually revived as people are trusting in Christ. And guess what? The key that went from death to life, that resurrection and transformation that took place in Ephesus, didn't happen just because Paul was loving or nice. It's because when Paul and his team showed up, they told people about their sin. They told them about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that made it possible for their sins to be forgiven. They told them about the resurrection and the empty tomb, and they invited them to trust in Christ. And as the people of Ephesus began to do that, an absolute transformation of that city began to happen. We see it described in chapter 19, and it's described in some interesting ways. Uh, Verses 18 through 20 talks about one of the things that happened in Ephesus as people began to trust in Christ. It says in verse 18, he says, 
that also many of those who were now believers, they came and they confessed and divulged their practices. And a number of those who had practiced the magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found that it was 50,000 pieces of silver. What's happening? It's a transformation of a city. This is a city that had idols in in this large temple to the false god Artemis in that city, and people had magic spells that they were casting. I mean, this is a rough place. What happened in Ephesus stayed in Ephesus. Temple prostitution was going on in that city. And yet something happened that led to people in that city that once had these very valuable spell books, taking them to the city square, tossing them into a pile, and lighting them on fire. What happened? Friends, the gospel got in their souls. They began to follow the God who created them. They had their sins forgiven in Christ, and when that happened, they no longer needed these these other things. Their lives were, were being changed, and not only were their lives changing, but it was changing the lives of those around them because there was a whole industry that was set up to help people worship these false gods. And that industry was taking a big time hit because people began to follow Jesus. We see this over in verses 23 to 27 of chapter 19. It says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and Demetrius said this, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. In other words, we make idols, that's what we do. And you have seen and heard that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods at all. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence she whom all Asia and the world worship. What was happening? Well, Demetrius was looking around. He says, guess what? This gospel that Paul is preaching is powerful. People are believing it, and their lives are changing, and they're not buying our product anymore. This bothered him so much, he he caused a riot in that city as all of the industries that were surrounding that pagan worship were suddenly challenged. And how did that riot come about? Because the gospel was introduced inside of that city. Friends, when we think about what it means for us to be for Norman, we need to unpack our bags, we need to begin to invest and, and find these ways in which we can seek the welfare of our city. But as we do that, we also have this incredible privilege of introducing to others the life-changing, transforming power of the gospel. Because of who Jesus is and what he did, we can make their lives better, not just for a little bit, but they can be connected to the God who can care for them forever. That's why as we reach out as a church, we want to make sure we bring the gospel with us as we love and serve. You know, I mentioned earlier we have the opportunities with the local schools, and we go and we serve the schools, and we we do so as they would want us to do. We we meet with the kids, and we listen to them, we read with them, and we, we help provide things for the teachers. But, you know, we try to find opportunities to invite those kids that we meet there in those schools 
to come here and to hear about Christ because we believe that's where the transformation ultimately will come. And so we have the privilege over the next 10 days to go into those schools and invite 40 of those kids who are participating in mentoring programs to come to this place this summer to hear about the good news of Christ at Camp in the City. Isn't that great? What an opportunity. Because we believe that there is transformation that happens with the gospel, and you and I get to be a part of it as well. As we reach out, as we seek the welfare through the places where you volunteer and spend your time, remember to bring the gospel with you because it is the power of transformation that your neighborhood, your school, your area of the world desperately needs. And here's what's so cool, friends. I I love this. What's so cool about this is we're not the only ones that know this. You know, we, we gather here in this room, and we're going to worship in three services today, and we're going to gather around. But guess what? We're just a little bit of what God's doing in our city. When we talk about being for Norman, it is a myopic vision to think that it's all on our backs because God has placed us in a community with many other followers of Christ. I want to just share with you a, a blessing in my life uh, as I've gotten to know some of the other guys in this town who are pastoring churches. My, my day-to-day uh, began, I was driving over here 6.15, 6.20 this morning, and I, I get this text message. Um, and, and on this text chain are 10 pastors of other churches in town. This is not the only Sunday that begins this way for me. First text, praying for you brothers today. Love to you and to your church. Next one, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. The next one, amen and amen. The next one, praying for all of you. Grateful to be able to do all of this together. Friends, this text chain is just a reminder that we share a perspective of what it takes to transform our city. Here's the thing. I could get together with these 10 guys, and I promise you we could find things we disagree about. We could get together in a round table, and we could talk about X, Y, and Z, and we could argue about my mission statement says this, and my doctrinal statement says that, and, and we use this instrument, and what instrument are you using, and you're not using, or whatever. We could argue about stuff. But guess what? All 10 of us on this chain, we all believe that there is a power to transform our city, and it's not found in this room alone or in that room alone. It's found in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, we get to introduce that to our city. Last week, we talked about this little inverted triangle, and at the top of that triangle, we talked about recognizing those that God has just placed around us, just those that happen to be there, and then those that at the bottom of that triangle that we might have the second conversation with. As we think about investing in those relationships this year, as we seek about investing in those around us, guess what? Let's remember to open our mouths and share the gospel as well, because in the gospel, the fact that We're sinners, but God is holy, so we're separated from him. When we trust in him, the death Jesus died on the cross makes full payment for our sins so that we can be forgiven and have everlasting life. When we share that message with those around us, we're being truly loving. We're inviting them to know that God is for them. Friends, we unpack our bags and we transform our city. You know, earlier today, I I read for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 a a few verses. I want to read them again, but I want to read one more. 
as we read it. It says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, that we would seek the welfare of the city because in it we would find our welfare. It says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. That's where I ended it. But at the end of verse 3 is not a period, it's a comma. It says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, we seek the welfare of our city and invite them to follow Christ. It will change their eternity. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for the privilege of being able to read your word. And Father, I pray that we would be people who would have faith to respond to it, that we would invest in the cities that you have placed us, even if it's for a short time, that we would take our lives and all that you have placed before us and we would, we would invest here. And as we invest, that we would share the gospel with those around us, that lives would be transformed, that our city would be changed. Father, we think about the, the things in our city that we would love to see transformed. And we think even if, if the gospel really took root, the industries that would, that would evaporate, the, the drug dealers that would have to move out of town, because the business would dry up and, and on and on. Father, we are trusting you for big things through the work of the Spirit and the power of the gospel. Thank you for the privilege of introducing our city to Christ. We pray that you would be honored now as we sing in response. In Jesus' name we pray.